race car. I declare bankruptcy. Bears eats Battlestar Galactica. Depression. Isn't that just a fancy word for feeling bummed out? Try you ignorant slut. Not only the years we've been at war, but from the moment as a child when we realized that the world could be conquered. Welcome to Great Scott, the Office Podcast. I'm Jay Ray, and with me is my deskmate, Jacob. What's up, buddy? Howdy, howdy, guys. Not much going on here, just crazy weather. You know, it's winter in Pennsylvania, so. Make sure to keep your convertible tops up. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, We are a member of the Broken Jars Broadcast Network. Visit BrokenJars.xyz for all of our other shows. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, we're uh, we're a week to Christmas, so you know, Mary. Next time you see us, it'll it'll be a new year. This is the last show of the year, man. That's a good point, actually. Uh, wow, I didn't come into it thinking anything of it, <laughs> and now now you've dropped this bomb on me, and I feel like I should have more respect for the occasion. Well, I mean, we got a good set of episodes coming up. So our first episode is season three, episode seventeen, "Cocktails," which was directed by none other than J.J. Abrams, and yep. written by Paul Lieberstein. Yeah. yeah, cocktails. It is an episode for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's got. A good cold open, which you don't see a ton of Michael-specific cold opens. They tend to be more Jim Dwight-specific. But this is all about Michael, and he is pulling out his straight jacket that he's going to escape escape from as Michael the Magic, which is the best name ever. Yeah, a lot of thought went into it, for sure. <laughs> I want to be a the something. Um, yeah, it's a lot of pressure, though. <laughs> like, do I feel uh, brave enough to be the the you know? And I don't think I do. <laughs> you or just like just start calling yourself Jay the Ray or something like that, you know? That's true. Uh, yep, I'll think about it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. And so he tells he tells everybody he's going to escape from extreme bondage. I will say this set of episodes is great for Michael Scott quotes. I mean, just yeah, <laughs> yeah he's uh, definitely forgotten all possible offensive or odd phrases and has reappropriated them for himself. <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so he tries to do this uh, magic trick. He makes sure that everybody's very aware that he does not want any assistance. Well, Jim makes sure that he makes sure everyone's very aware. This is Jim just being straight asshole right here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's before. Is it before or is it after the, the Michael messes up? Uh, it's before. It's before the key drop. So Jim is just doing what Jim does. And then yeah. a situation presents itself for him to be like, yep, I can deliver. <laughs> and I'll cover the key with my foot and make sure Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh. I don't know. It's also great too because, like, we know Michael goes to Magic Camp, yep. And uh, you know, we know later on that he has a spending money problem, so he probably spent a pretty penny on this setup here. Um, and he his execution is just terrible. Not only is it super apparent that something very large is in his mouth, <laughs> doesn't even keep it in his mouth for more than like five seconds once he goes. So <laughs> it's classic, Michael. One thing I gotta give him credit for because there's a shot where he's like, "Look." 
if you see a you know brass key around, please let me know. Yeah. But if you look at them, this may not have come across on um, like because this is like so. Well, this was when when was this? Like two thousand nine? Uh, seven. So HD was just kind of really coming in. Mm. So, but like you could tell, like he would sweat all the way around his collar, like. I don't know if they did that on purpose or if he was just, you know, really hot from doing all the takes in the straight jacket. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, it's pretty great. He, because uh, what we're assuming that he's been working at this for hours, right? Sometime, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if Jim was like, hey, look what I found. Because <laughs> knowing Jim, he would figure out a way to prank Michael with the key. Like, like a secondary prank, right? Make yeah. him make him think that like an angel dropped it or something. <laughs> you know, something crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, Michael's too easy to prank, though. I think that's why it comes up so rarely. Say for like Koi Pond, where something is done directly to Michael. Um, he's just too easy. He's too believable. He's like a big old kid, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, so me, oh, go yeah. ahead. Uh, I was going to do what you were going to do. Uh, yeah, this episode gets kind of crazy because there's two big uh, subplots after here. Yeah, there's Shannon, really not A, B. It's just A and or B and B, I guess, or A and A, because they're both major plot points. Yeah. And, you know, it's an interesting title, too, because it's one of the few titles that probably applies to all of the storylines. Because mm-hmm. everybody's getting cocktails. Or something, yes. Yeah, so everyone's getting drinks. So the first one is Jan and Michael are going to a corporate party. Um, not really a corporate party, I suppose. It's more of a party that David Wallace is putting on, and a lot of corporate people will be there. Right. Uh, and it also so happens to be the first party that they're going to go as a couple, so that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim, Karen, and Dwight will also be attending the party. Correct. And then the secondary storyline is uh, the rest of the office staff are going to go to Poor Richard's for a little like post-work drink kind of mm-hmm. funsy-wonsy time. From what uh, from what I could tell, they left early. Like the, they left work early. Pam Pam made a uh, a comment to Roy. They're like, "Hey, basically, we're gonna go because Michael's gone." Right. You know. And you know, I kind of feel bad for Michael. He's got to drive to New York a lot. I mean, that's it's not a long trip, but it's not a short trip either. Yeah. Well, we know it gets uh, brought up later on where. Uh, Jan offers to leave money on the uh, <laughs> nightstand for him to help his uh, gas costs. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, but it's interesting because, I mean, this could just be Michael just saying something wrong. But when he's talking about David Walls, the CFO, how he got invited by his boss's boss's boss. Right. So that would indicate that there are three layers above Michael, like two in between him and David Wallace. But if there is, we never see where that other layer is because it always seems like it's Wallace, uh, Jan. Jan, then into Michael. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to wonder, like, is there a layer between Jan and Michael or is there a layer between Jan and David? Right. Right. Well, the qu- do you remember Jan's title or the title that Ryan got? Wasn't he a director? The director of Northeast Sales or something like that? Or. Well, I think. Yeah, I forget because they both do uh, quips to each other or whatever. Right. <clears throat> it's the same office. 
and but I think it's a different title, and I think it's a different salary. That's the those are the jokes, right? Right. Well, because I was thinking, because in a lot of companies they have, it tends to go some form something like C level, senior vice presidents, or maybe not the SVP may or may not be there. Like C C level vice presidents, directors, managers. That's generally how the hierarchy tends to go. So right. maybe there is a vice president in there we just never see. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, we bring it up every every episode, but it is kind of odd that David Wallace is so involved in the Scranton branch specifically, you know. Well, I, I would assume that for this party, well, I mean, yes, it is, but I would assume for this party he's pretty much invited everybody. Right. You know, all the managers, it kind of just seems that way, all the guys that can actually make it. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, so, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess let's cover one party at a time, right? Okay. Well, first, before, before, like, people start leaving and stuff, Pam has a talking head where she says that she's going to be more honest. Right. And she's, Pammy's going to get what she wants and don't call me Pammy. Yeah. You know, so that, that, that sort of plays into this quite a bit. Into the whole yeah. storyline and stuff going forward, which we eventually see, you know, more this kind of bleed into like beach games and some other episodes. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I will say, I mean, it definitely is a factor. And I think when occasions come up, we think about this moment, but uh, she doesn't always do good on this promise. Oh, and it's definitely, not. yeah, and it's definitely more of a season three Pam thing. Right. Pam. Cause there's a, yeah. Pop, right. Know. It's like, she, it's like, like a new year's resolution she's decides she's going to be different and then quits that's right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so Mike, um, michael yeah. dwight go they go to the party together and they get there super early yes like, it's hard to say how early but it seems a good couple of hours yeah yeah, for you sure. Know, so, you know, only good friends arrive early. So, ipso facto, if arrive early, become a good friend. Right. Which, you know, I mean, it's terrible logic, but I, I, I could see the, the Michael Scott train going there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, again, classic Michael, just not realizing what the point <laughs> of that phrase is. Um, right. Yeah, you're right. It's ours. I mean, the wait staff are still setting up the places to put the food, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Mrs. Wallace is obviously showering like post shower, like minutes after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like this is an occasion. No, I guess it's not a fireable offense, but it's definitely an offense that would cause me never to invite Michael Scott to a birthday party or a regular party again. <laughs> well, we never see them do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so good. Good on them. Thank goodness. I mean, Am I wrong to say the next time we see Mrs. Wallace is in season nine? No, I think that's no, no, right. No, no, not season nine. Season six, seven, when Saber takes over? Right, whenever Michael's looking for advice from David, right? Right, I think uh, that's the only other time we see her. Yeah, that sounds accurate to me. So obviously she learned her lesson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, although that second time she's much more excited to see Michael, right? Kind of hoping cool. that he'll be able to talk David out of whatever weird suck it funk he's in. Uh, I mean, it would be hard to lose your job. Yeah, that's true. And that, I mean, I mean, one, I mean, I don't know how much Wallace is making, but it's gotta be 
half a mil. I mean, that's a oh, really sure. nice house in a really expensive area. In a re well, actually in New York, I mean, he's probably making more like two mil. You know, he's got catered parties on silver platters and like <laughs> literal think, silver platters. Do, do we think he lives in New York? He's got to be within commuting distance, and there ain't much well, cheaper that's commuting distance from New York City. Well, because there's some uh, like, uh, what do you, what the hell do you call it? Uh, like express train areas in Jersey that are kind of like the southern northern area, or the you know central Jersey area that'll like take you to the city in like forty minutes, and that might offer some of that space. Or I know there's a similar community up in Connecticut that. Uh, I mean, I know a lot of people. I mean, I kind of guess it's Connecticut, to be honest. Yeah, but right. I'm not. I'm not sure. But he's. I mean, still. I mean, it's not a cheap area to live in at all. No, no, definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah, and I mean, usually those communities are end up becoming super expensive because they all move there for the same reason. Right. Because they are rich people who need to get to the city but don't want to live in the city. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. So he's rich. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's what Dwight uh, surmises. During branch closing anyways, based on his garbage, right? Yep. He's rich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, so they're going to this party. Karen and Jim have also been invited. Um, I suppose it's because of Jim's number two level, and he gets a plus one. So Karen's coming along. And, um, and then Michael, we know, invites Dwight himself. Well, I mean, no, no, no. Michael invites Dwight. No, that's what I'm saying. Michael invites Dwight. Because mm-hmm. there comes a point where he's like, should you even be coming? Which makes me believe that Jim was directly invited by someone higher up. Well, I mean, Green, this maybe is like the start of the friendship, but you can definitely tell, and it's obvious, you know, in the the, the season finale that Wallace uh, has a rapport with Jim. So I don't know, like, if it's uh, like this is where it starts or if it's, you know, just been something in the background we really haven't seen yet. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I personally, I'd feel like it must start here. Uh, you know, Jim seemed to have dealt with Jan directly for uh, all the transfer stuff to Stanford. And when the branch is closing, Jan was also pretty integral into figuring who that, you know, who was going to take over what role. Mm-hmm. We didn't really see a lot of David in that. So while it's possible, I think them playing basketball this episode is what you know, causes them to be a little bit more friendly with each other. Mm-hmm. Yep, I can get behind that. Yeah. But something we sh- we would be like, we should hit on a little bit. So while they're driving to the party, Jan calls Michael. It's like, let's just blow off this party, get a motel room and rip into each other. And of course, Dwight hears all of this. But it's like, oh, That's yeah. Right. So we are seeing Jan's, uh, Jan's a you know crazy side at least in one part of her, her life. Yeah, see, is it her being crazy or is she just really into Michael? Or well, is that weird? No, I mean it's not crazy bad. It's just like you know she's, she's you know she likes to get it, go a little wild there, <laughs> right? I'm not saying okay. it's bad. I'm just saying you know it's just how she is. <laughs> it's worth knowing, right? <laughs> So, uh, <clears throat> meanwhile, yeah, so yeah, oh, meanwhile, meanwhile, <laughs> well, I was gonna say, screen. yeah, so the crew decides to go to this bar, Paul Richards. So, this uh, is the really the only episode where wait, 
No, no, there are... Yes, Roy and Pam are together for business school and part of this episode. Right. Yeah, it basically two episodes. So this they are officially together. And Roy's brother took a bath on the jet skis. And he's pissed and he wants to go get hammered. And she's like, look, you got to go with me. We're going to a bar, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. So... One thing I didn't kind of note is seems like once Roy got there, he was having a good time. Yep. You know, like he was hanging out, playing, you know, whatever that chicken game is. Oh, yeah. Up chicken, down chicken. Some Have nonsense. you ever played that game? No. I, uh, no. Like I, I've only ever seen it in the office. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> and so, you know, they go to Port Richard's. And Pam has a throwaway comment about how there there was this really cute duck in the claw machine. So right. Toby spends his entire time at the bar trying to figure out, like trying to win this duck for Pam. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. yeah what, do you, what do you think? Worth it? Not worth it? You know, I really think if he had played his cards right, he could have at least gone on a date with Pam. But he wouldn't, like, engage her enough to actually get that date, you know? Right. Yeah, I think uh, – well, because Pam says, too, she does think Toby's cute at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in this episode, she's like, oh, I was really looking forward to hanging out with you. I mean, really, is it Toby's poor planning or is it because he's really not good at this crane game? He should have won a lot sooner so he could uh, <laughs> not make oh, it so awkward. But those, those crane games can be very difficult. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point, but I didn't want to give him an out, Jacob, but I guess. <laughs> but I feel bad for him because she immediately gives it back to him like, hey, why don't you give this to your daughter? Like all that effort. Just yeah. yeah. It's like poor Tobes. What makes you wonder too, like the quality of Toby's dadness? Because like he's not a full-time dad, you figure, right? Like Sasha probably lives with the ex-wife. That's kind of the um... – that's the vibe I've always gotten from the show is that he, the girl, his girl doesn't live with them. Right. So it's like, uh, yeah, I, I feel like I've always assumed he was a good dad. Sasha's like such a cute little kid, well-behaved or whatever. Uh, but that's probably not his doing. And Toby's probably actually maybe kind of a crappy dad because he's too busy trying to win toys for, you know, young secretaries instead of seeing his daughter's thing. I mean, what literally an episode before he says that, is it his? Is it Sasha who's doing the play, or is it his niece? I don't remember. I but think he does say Sasha. what they're doing is not art, right? Mm-hmm. So, just a yeah. lot of lack of interest in the, what children are doing around uh, Scran. So, <laughs> so flipping back to the party. So we'll just go back and forth as okay. we want to. Uh, so they, they're just talking head with Jan where she prophesies what's about to happen to her. They're like, so, you know, what's it going to be like to date Michael Scott publicly? He's like, oh, you know, it goes, well, kids, house, happiness, no more self-loathing, you know, the usual stuff. Right. Or I could uh, implode on myself like a dying star. And it's like, oh, Jan, if you only knew what was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you think she gets crazy or do you think we just see more of her? 
Uh, I, I think it was always there, and she just when she got fired, that's when it, she popped. I you see. know, right? She wasn't able to maintain anymore, because yeah, because obviously she has some like major self esteem, you know, that kind of stuff with her self loathing comment. She makes other comments, kind of like that throughout the series, and so you know, just she was a high powered woman you know businesswoman in new york and then she's fired living with michael scott in screen pa with no job right all right so you're saying that could set anybody off really yeah and you know she's got she doesn't know anybody she's got all the free time in the world right to you know make her candles oh candles by jan it's 3d by jan (laughs) oh boy whatever (laughs) i wasn't gonna buy them yeah, <laughs> but so it's just, uh, you, you know, I, I think it was, she was always kind of unstable, but, right. you know, all the other stuff. It's, I mean, you kind of saw this, a similar thing, but not nearly as self-destructive when Wallace lost his job in season, was that six? It's six. Six or seven. No, oh, that's a good point. Right. So, yeah. so high level employees of Dunder Mifflin, when laid off or let go, do not handle it well. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We continue on. Uh, yeah. No, she is. Uh, I mean, the love contract is funny in and of itself. Yes. Right. Yeah. Michael's <laughs> reference to it as a love contract and a declaration of love that is publicly known. You know, it's it's a pretty probably standard dating your coworker type deal saying, you know, mm. I mean, basically what Jan says, you know. Right. Uh, and But this is, this will come up again in the negotiation. Is it no normal corporate structure? Would she be allowed to still be his boss? That's right. That's so, right. That's something we'll get into later. But so, but yeah, it was funny. She's like, so what's this above the eye? It's a heart. And you can yeah. just, like, you can just tell she's really not happy with this. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, then he publicly or actually just shoutingly declares that he loves this woman. Yep. Um, and then we go inside and immediately Michael is just too excited to not say Jan and I are lovers, <laughs> which is like probably the, like the most bummer way to say that phrase, right? Like you can't just say like we are in a relationship just so you know. No, he says we are lovers. Just awkward. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Like. Yeah, there's so many connotations you can pull from lovers. Like, hey, I'm paying this woman. You know, right, that, that's right, definitely right, a yeah. connotation you can take from it. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> um, but, I mean, and this is just kind of par for the course for the night. Jan is going to awkwardly walk away from David and bring Michael along to give him some type of scolding about how he should be behaving or whatever. Um, one of the last ones ends a little bit weirder. <laughs> Yeah, but this was, is yeah. She like attacks Michael and like drags him to the bathroom and wants to get all like, you know, get after it with him. And he's, you know, he's like, no, no, no means please stop. Yeah. Do you think she legitimately wanted to do it with him at the moment, or was she purposefully kind of acting out to make him feel how she felt? It's a question, right? It's a good question. I hadn't really thought about it. Uh, I mean, part of it, like in. I feel like knowing what we know about Jan later, she is maybe showing signs of her craziness. 
Well, I, I even wrote this note. I just it's, it says angry sex seems like Jan's bag. Like that's just seems like, like she likes that like you know whipped into a frenzy, just going after kind of thing. Right. And she yeah. and she also even talks about how you know, it was exciting when you know they they could get caught and now they can't get caught and so it's not as exciting. Yeah, that yeah. You know, that's something she brought up um, earlier in the or actually it comes up later in the episode. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So while all that's going on with Jim and uh, Jim, Jan and Michael, Dwight is inspecting the home. <laughs> yeah. And Karen is playing the meanest joke on Jim ever. Yes. Like, I, I kid you not, like, if a girl had done that to me, I probably would have broken up with her. Like, that's just, that to me is just, there, there's there's one thing to be playful and funny and practical jokes and all that, but that, that's just mean. Like, <laughs> you know, I, uh, you're, you're right, it is mean. Uh, but I will say they definitely have a relationship built on that type of behavior. That's true. That's true. And I will say, too, actually, you bring up a point, though, by saying it's mean, is that um, you'll definitely notice a weird separation between the types of pranks that Karen plays over the kinds of pranks that Pam plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karen's are a little bit more personal and a little bit meaner skewed, you know? Pam's are usually light and... Not necessarily at the expense of the other person, though Dwight is an exception because uh, Dwight can't help but be a joke at his own expense. Um, you know, so I always thought part of this too was just kind of like a another way to show a comparison between Pam and Karen, you know? Yeah. But that being said, Rashida Jones is very pretty. Well, yeah. So on one level, I don't think I'd be that mad at the joke, but on the second level, I definitely would be mad at the joke because Rashida Jones is so pretty. <laughs> you know, it's I don't know. I, I just think it's really mean <laughs> just to do that. To somebody like I would be really, really upset if someone did that to me. Right. You know, right. Maybe the first time, maybe the first one, you're like, yeah, okay, you got me, good job. But just like string it along for the length of the party. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I mean you're not you're not wrong. It is it is uh she takes it pretty far. <clears throat> yeah. Then you know David Wallace asks Jim to go shoot hoops with him. And they go outside and they're kind of talking and the top, the top of the chimney falls off. <laughs> and you know what uh, Wallace is just looking up at Dwight, kicking on his chimney, and Jim's like, well, my ball like doesn't even phase Jim. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just kind of used to that kind of crazy behavior, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, but I think this is definitely an occasion where um, Wallace and Jim kind of get to know each other a bit. And, you know, Wallace can get a sense of what Jim really thinks about Michael in that regards. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, and I think uh, he might have trouble getting honest feedback from lower level people about Michael, you know, cause like Michael's their boss. Right. So, well, I, 
I could see honest feedback being hard, but not knowing which like because I could see a lot of feedback being overly critical. Right. Well, I I would assume the majority of the feedback would be overly critical. Sure. And then some of it would be like a little brown nosing, you know, especially from somebody like Andy. But you know, Jim will be like, "Look, yeah, he's crazy, but he's also a good boss too." Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so you want to jump back to the bar? Sure. So, right, they're playing some crazy nonsense games, and everybody seems to be having a good time. Um, there's some funny stuff with Creed where we find out he is selling miners, uh, fake IDs mm-hmm. out of the back of his car. Apparently, he stole the machine, though, from the sheriff's department. Right, and that's it is referenced at some point before oh, Dwight. Yeah. Is is no longer a deputy sheriff. It's referenced that he that the someone stole the laminating machine, right? Which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah, and this is like when you're first starting to understand just like how much illegal stuff Creed does. Because up until right. now he's just been crazy guy. Yeah, but now you're like, oh, he's crazy criminal guy. <laughs> yeah, and of course you know we all remember that one Halloween right where he's like, thank goodness it's Halloween, <laughs> and he's covered in blood. It's like, did he murder somebody? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's tricky. Okay, so the big question I want to bring up, because this all is kind of building, and Pam tells Roy about Jim. Yeah. So this isn't... Should she have told him at this time? Because, look, we know he's... We know he's angry about... For his brother and his brother's angry. We know he is on a mission to get hammered. Sure. You probably should have waited till the next day to do this. You know, it may not have blown up so bad. Yeah. I mean, I will say, I mean, she definitely should have told him, but this probably wasn't the best place unless she wanted it to happen. Which I, I thought about. Maybe she actually wanted him to blow up to give him give her a reason to dump him. Yeah, I mean, let me tell you, the thing I've learned about you on this podcast, Jacob, is that for whatever reason, you think the worst of Pamela Beasley. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think, think she did it. Like, I don't think she did to be mean. I just think she didn't think about it. <laughs> didn't think it through. <laughs> no, definitely didn't think it through. Um. But I think that's also like the point is that she has a misconstru- like a, a poor impression of what Roy is today, you know? Right. She thinks it's a new Roy post breakup after the wedding failure. Um, he's trying. She's trying. Uh, you know, so I think a normal couple could have had this conversation despite how much alcohol or drugs or whatever they had had. But because they started on an unhealthy foundation, I think is, you know, kind of why it goes the way it goes. And honestly, not for nothing, but aside from it not being a great relationship, Roy is the the douche, right? I mean, <laughs> I yeah. mean, Roy's in the wrong 100% regardless. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just saying sometimes you got to pick a better spot than that. I, th- I think Pam just poorly picked when she was going to do it. Right. You know, because yeah. once... <laughs> 
Yeah, it's just a bad point when you you know they're angry already and they're liquored up. It's just a bad bad, bad time. Yeah. Yep, that's fair. Well, he, so he freaks out. He's throwing glasses and bottles everywhere. And his brother just jumps in for no reason. He's like, fuck this and starts yeah. breaking shit. Yeah. And uh, Pam leaves, says this is over. Roy incorrectly requote says, yeah, this is so over. Pam didn't say so. I don't know why Roy emphasizes it, but whatever. <laughs> and she splits. And yeah, I mean, that that's the end of Jim and Roy, uh, Jim and Roy, boy, that's a different show entirely. <laughs> uh, Pam and Roy, uh, at least until next episode. Right. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, there's a couple closing scenes where you see, um, Michael Dwight and Jan driving somewhere. Right. I don't know where, maybe she's coming to Scranton. I don't know. Right. But you know, he's kind of freaking out and he's like, he tells her, Jan, I want everything. I want the picket fence and the kids and the ketchup fights. And my only thought to that was, how horribly difficult would it be to clean up after a ketchup fight? I mean, that, that gets everywhere and it will smell. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, if you have a ketchup fight in your home, uh, when you're done, you have to move because <laughs> it's over. Yeah. And then That's Dwight it. pops out of the back. He's like, please don't, please don't break up, guys. Yeah, you know, and that's a good point that you brought up too, because obviously, uh, Michael and Dwight got there on their own, right? So Jan got there some other way. Why is she in the car? I don't know. Maybe she took a cab and they were going to drive home. And no, because you see her digging through her trunk. Oh, to okay. get the love document, the, lo- the love contract. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Well, maybe she's drunk and he's not. Uh, she's driving her home as a goodwill, and she'll just take a cab there and pick it up the well, next day. Because you could also see – well, one, we've we've seen how when she gets stressed, she will overdrink. Right. Two, she was definitely having a bad day. She, like, she walks with Carrie and is like, so how are you doing, Jan? Or some, or how's the party? Like, not good or something. Like, she like definitely didn't hear what Karen said to her. She's like, no, it's bad. Yeah, she's like having fun or something. She's like, not good. Yeah. <laughs> And the closing scene is Roy's brother coming out, telling him that he paid off poor Richards and that all the jet ski money was gone. And Roy says he's going to kill Jim Halpert. Right. Um, I mean, so there it is. It's a, a big episode for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think, sir? Uh, I really like this episode. Um, there's a lot going on. Like I said, there's two. We said there's two big stories. Um, almost none of this is at the office, which is yep. kind of cool, you know, and it's the first time we get to see poor Richards. Um, I think this is the first time we see inside of David's house and this is the new David's house not the original David's house from that's correct. Yeah. Ranch closing. So it's cool. You get to, you get to learn a lot. It really sets up a lot of, you know, stuff for the rest of the season. Um, it's funny, good jokes. Uh, so I give a give it a three point five out of five. Stolen laminating machines. Okay, all right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I wasn't too far off. I, I gave it a little bit higher. I gave it a three point seven out of five macaroni salads. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's a it's a big plot thing. Uh, and the humor is there, but the Jim, uh, Jim, Jesus, the Roy and Pam stuff is. Sometimes it's too real, you know. 
So I give the rating based on uh, its lack of fun watching by the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah, there's certain parts that are tough to watch. Yeah. So the next episode is a negotiation directed by Jeffrey Blitz and written by Michael Schur. Interesting thing about this is there was cocktails premiered on February 22nd, 2007, and the negotiation appeared on April 5th, 2007. Huh. So I don't know. I mean, because what it looks like is March Madness is NBC this time because it's with CBS now, but it looks like in this, right? I mean, it looks like March Madness. Yeah, you're right. So maybe that's what it was. Um, that's probably a one reason why this episode is a little longer. I didn't realize it, but this is a 30-minute episode instead of a 22-minute episode. Gotcha. So they had a little bit more time or whatever. Yeah. So this opens up with Roy in the parking lot, um, and he's pissed. He's right. just ready to kick some ass, take some names, all that good stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of weird things about this to me. It's weird that Roy waited all day, you know, like he's out, like he finished his shift and he's been stewing about it all day. And now he's outside waiting for people to leave. You know? Right. Um, I feel like he's drunk. He's angry. Show up early and get the guy in the parking lot, you know? Right. Um, so that, that's one oddity, but I assume we are to believe it is the next working day, right? Uh, I would assume so. Yes. Right. So this part, so let's say the cocktails party happened last the Friday previous. So this is that Monday, something like that. Give or take. Give or take. Yeah. That's kind of what I would assume as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he walks in. He says, Halpert. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know Roy's exit strategy. And obviously, he hasn't been painted as the shining example of ingenuity and good planning. Well, that's kind of uh, what he brought up. He's like, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking, really. You know, he just kind of went for it. Right. So, that, I mean, that's definitely something that got brought up and all that good stuff. So, uh, you know. Yeah, but Dwight's there to save the day. He whips out some pepper spray and sprays half the people in the office. <laughs> I mean, well, really, that's just it's, how it's, it's going to happen. That's right. Uh, you I mean, know, it's like a closed space everywhere. Yeah. yeah, no, it's true. Uh, and Roy did, definitely got the brunt of it. I mean, oh, we really sure. don't even talk about Roy's experience, but we just see the humor and everybody else getting the residual effects of pepper spray splash or whatever. Right. And, you know, Dwight's all all messed up from it. And- Who's laughing now? He Who's says as he cries. Yeah. He's crying, yeah, baby. Yeah, that stuff's gonna hurt, you know. Yeah. Well, according to uh, the office wiki, uh, it's about a week later when uh, they have their conversation with Jane about uh, Daryl looking for a raise. Okay. Yeah. Which uh, I didn't know that. I don't know how they know this, but if they say a week later, that makes sense to me. I guess that means uh, Daryl's been. Dealing with feeling shorthanded in the warehouse and he's been picking up the slack. So it gives him a week to kind of like be tired of the nonsense and just be like, hey, this is what's going on. I need a raise. Right. Which which makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean. I, there, yeah, yeah. There, there's a week in between the incident and the phone 
call with um, Jan. Jan, right? I believe. Yeah, I mean that would that would uh, just for everybody to be able to react and understand what's happening or whatever. And right, then, and it's also payday. Well, we assume it's payday. We yeah, because it gets his last check, so right, they yeah, get paid yeah. on Fridays. But also, like, I don't know, maybe I'm being ridiculous here, but like. Does Roy have direct deposit or something like that? Like he's got to come in and get his physical check, or like they're going to let him come into the building? They won't mail it to him, or yeah, like well, that. Like, I mean, a lot of times they will give you a physical last check, uh, but I mean, it really depends on the company, right? And like we've seen, Thunder Mifflin's kind of weird like that, so yeah. that's fair. Uh, okay, so that happens. We uh, so we we're do, here. We, do we get find one out. of the best Michael lines. So they're talking with Jan. Toby's there. It, Jan's like, "Are you going to deal with this, Michael?" He's like, "Yeppers." What did I tell you about yeppers? To uh, not say it. <laughs> He's like, "Yeesh," yes. which is like crazier, right? But, yes, but he, but if you notice, he actually says it in the next episode. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> Like that, this is one of the lines that I probably use more than any other from the office. Yeppers or yesh? Well, it's <laughs> funny is because well, a lot of my friends and like my wife, we all, you know, seen the show a lot. So like one of us will go yeppers and we'll just do the entire bit. Like we're right, not right. even thinking about it. It's just like <laughs> People look at us funny when we're outside. I'm sure. <laughs> I am sure. Um, yeah, but so all this leads to Daryl basically asking for a raise and Michael uh, – first thing Michael does is look to Wikipedia for negotiation tactics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he invites uh, Jim to his office so he can try a couple of these out. We have such classics as leaning far back and whispering, um, leaving suddenly <laughs> while announcing that you will be leaving suddenly. Uh which, I mean, those are those are the two. That which Jim, Jim foils Michael's departure by saying sex, Steve Martin, and Terry Hatcher. Yeah, which you know, I guess is interesting. Not necessarily something I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm okay without it, but I, I get why you'd stop. Hey, what? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, sort of one of the uh, subplots is Angela. I guess she wasn't there, or. I don't know exactly. I don't remember seeing her, but what's the thing? I think it was the end of the day and we know Kevin had left the building already. So she must've left before him. Right. what I'm guessing. So she's going around getting all the stories and getting all hot and bothered by Dwight being a superhero. That's right. And we also learned that Dwight has a whole ton of weapons stashed around the office. Yes. Which comes back in, um, the duel in season four. Yeah. In season four, Jim's going around collecting all of his weapons. Right. <laughs> He's just having like 20 things stashed around the office. Yeah. There's like an entire compound crossbow under the couch or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like in I'm Mr. surprised that the cleaning ladies have never found it. Mr. A knife in the filing cabinet. <laughs> yeah. That one's great. <laughs> it's very descript uh, or in, in discreet rather. So there's a really great scene where Kelly and Ryan start fighting about yeah. how 
Yo, you know, I know what you would have done, Ryan Bailey Howard. You would have done nothing. And so they start fighting. And Toby's like, I don't know if Michael put him back here to torture me. But if so, genius. Yeah. 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 And then Michael comes in and is like, come on, we're going. Uh, we're kind of skipping around. But he's like, come on, we're going. It's like, to where? To get to beat your head in with a hammer. And Toby's like, huh, that does sound better than what this is, what it's happening right now. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, so what ends up happening just prior to that, as you said, is uh, so Daryl and Michael actually have their first attempts at negotiating. Mm-hmm. Um, it first stops because of his lack of money, I believe, is the first thing. Nope. Yeah, first well, thing is, it, is it the outfit? It's the outfit. It's the outfit. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, Michael accidentally cross-dressed that day, I suppose. He had rifled through a large bin of clothes that a bunch of other people were doing, so found a suit that fit and was on sale. Uh, it has no back pockets. The buttons are on the wrong side of the jacket, and the inside trim is pink, and we find out it is designed by someone named Miss Mysterious. Yep. And my wife wanted me to point out that women's pockets on clothes are bullshit, and she wished all the designers would make them better. Well, let me let me let me teach you something here, Jacob, that I found out, and I hope it's right because it could be the internet. I could have been lied to, but apparently, <laughs> a lot of women's clothes have like their zippers or buttons on the opposite side of dudes' clothes. This is true because this is based on some type of old tradition where you know, upper class women would have assistance to dress them. So the buttons were placed on the opposite side so that for the servants, it was easier to, cause it's like putting their own clothes on. Yeah. But what about the lack of pockets? That's different. That's women. <laughs> women get purses. They don't get pockets. That's my understanding of the situation. You know? Yes. My wife wants pockets. <laughs> okay. Well then she's got to give up the purse. That's, that's what it is. <laughs> She can't have both. That's just too many ways to carry things. <laughs> it's too much power for an individual. Well, and as we learn, it's it's the European cut because your Europeans don't have pockets. That's right. <laughs> and we get a we get a fairly unexpected look at Michael's butt. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a pretty good scene overall, you know, because like Phyllis is like, oh, look at the shoulder pads. That's right. Um, and then uh, so that whole disruption happens and Michael's very embarrassed but they move the negotiation into Michael's office where we find out that Michael is not making nearly as much as he probably should be making um, right. he, yeah, Dwight, uh, Daryl asks for his raise, puts it on a piece of paper and slides it over to Michael because that is how it's done in movies um, Michael says that's more than he makes so how yeah. much guessing what do you think what do you think he's he asked for well let's put it this way i just watched the episode where pam tricks the office into uh, letting them know that she is the administrator office administrator Mm -hmm. and she loosely negotiates not really but she hints to oscar that she's making 41 42,000 a year right so I don't really know the hierarchy of an office administrator in an office. I assume it's more than she was making as a secretary. Um, so it's probably on par with any non-manage, like non-department head person in that room. So she's probably making as much as Kevin maybe. 
but I would figure too that maybe Daryl should be or would be making around forty. Right? Does that sound fair? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that sounds fair. Maybe fifty. Yeah, I, maybe. I got the bit. impression that Michael was well well under where he should be for his position. That too. That's correct. Yeah. yeah, not not just for how long he's been there, but also just for his position in general, right? Right. Yeah. Because it, you know this whole sequence, you know, it really shows how little Dunder Mifflin values Michael because he never asked for a raise and they never give it to him, even though his numbers are always strong. Uh, and you know, and also how just in real life, just you got to ask for raises on occasion. That's right. And part of me wonders, especially with this um, and stuff later, is if this is sort of his disenfranchisement with Dunder Mifflin, like sort of the start of it. Because we see it a bit more in the deposition episode uh, a couple different times. And so he eventually leaves, right? um, you know, for Michael Scott Paper Company. So I'm wondering if this is kind of like he's like, really, you're going to pay me this little? Yeah, I mean, he gets the raise in the end. And, uh, right, but I mean, even if, I mean, it was a good size raise, you know, 12% or whatever. Right. But that's still 12% of a salary that was well below where he should be. So he's right. still not anywhere near where he should be. I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, because we're not talking about like one or two thousand dollars, we're talking about like 10, $20,000 off, you know, probably yeah, that's, at least. That, that's, yeah. Like, I would guess, you know, just based on things, he was making like 60. Right. Where he, you know, most people in that kind of position are making like 90. Sure. So I mean, that's kind of my guess. Well, the other thing, too, I always wonder I mean, it either means that Michael is spectacular at spending too much money, or as we think, he actually makes too little. Because 60 to me, uh, I wonder if that's too much. Like he must be really terrible with money to make sixty thousand a year, live in the middle of Pennsylvania, like not a metropolis by any means, and still not have enough money to pay his bills or, uh, you know, all that stuff. Well, I mean, like, it does seem that he was fine with his money. I mean, not I mean, not that he was good with his money, but that right. he didn't have really any issues until Jan moved in. But you, th- but is that because Jan looked into it, or is that because Jan caused it? Right, we get the impression that Jan will help cause it. I mean, it's just another expense because she's not working. You know, that's more food. Right. That's more everything, and she wants a Porsche. <laughs> sure. You know. Okay, that's fair. Well, let's. We keep chugging on. And we uh, eventually are at a place where Daryl uh, convinces Michael to ask for his own raise. Um, it has to be done in person, apparently, for whatever reason. And as you pointed out, too, it probably should not be done with Jan, but it's going to be. Yeah. And uh, to facilitate that, we need a impartial third party. This is where Toby comes in. Uh, and after being threatened to be beaten in the head with a hammer, we find our three heroes in a pickup truck on their way to New York City. Uh, Never touch black man's radio. Yeah. Uh, where will we stay? Yeah. It's not that big. Yeah. Those are, these are the jokes. <laughs> it was like, oh, maybe I'll stay. Where Michael yeah. is like, it's not that big. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, Another subplot we're missing is Jim trying to thank Dwight for saving him. Yes. And so he tries to get him something for his bobblehead and he rejects it. He's actually really trying. Like, he feels bad and really wants to, like, show his appreciation and Dwight's not letting him do it. Right. He's like, when I want to prank him, he never sees it coming. But when I want to do something nice for him, he's like an eel. I just can't get a hold of him. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. And, and there's a nice moment between Karen and uh, Jim where Karen just like, well, you obviously feel bad, you idiot. And Jim's like, yeah, probably. Another – there's another good thing in there where she, she has a talking head. And he's like, you know, when I found out that Jim and Pam kissed – my decision was to have a lot of long talks with long talks. Roy's was to hit him. I'm not sure which one he liked least. Or... <laughs> yeah, I uh, my girlfriend asked me which I would hate more, and I did say that I would have hated uh, probably getting punched more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear. But also, I suppose I'm not. My relationship isn't as new and fresh as the uh, Jim and Karen relationship. So I'm at a place where I've probably already had those long conversations with my girlfriend and I've lived through them. Uh, I have not been punched by the dude who plays Roy and I'm not looking forward to that. So I can deal with the talks, I think, is where I'm at in my life. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm the same way. I wouldn't, I don't like getting hit. It's no fun. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> uh, oh, there's this other thing where like Stanley uncharacteristically is very nice towards Karen. You know, he was like, oh, you must have been so scared and all that kind of stuff. And But then the more I thought about it, I was like, no, that really does fall in line with Stanley. He's hitting yeah. on the hot girl. Well, yeah, like Stanley later on that we find out, right? Right. Uh, he is a little uh, not welcoming of the uh, Stanford people. You know, he makes a comment specifically about Karen when Karen's questioning the smells by Phyllis's desk. And he says, like, who do these Stanford people think they are? I've been dealing with Phyllis's smells forever, you know. I think I think maybe he just genuinely might be interested in, uh, you know, what's happening. You know, his old man gossipy self maybe is shining through. Mix that in with his later on young lady hunted self. And uh, we get a little glimpse of this Stanley. Yeah. <laughs> uh- and going back to the Jim Dwight thing, there's another really good line from Karen where, like, Jim's trying to get help to figure out how to do these things, like, how to do it. And Karen's just like, why don't you just go back and sell some paper so we can go on a trip? Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, you know, Karen's like, her jokes are a little bit meaner, and then she also is easier to turn off, like, the fun mode, you know? But uh, despite how busy Pam may be, she's like, yeah, let's freaking do it, yo. Right. Let's get this shit going. <laughs> and then we also have the amazing uh, Creed uh, account of what happened. It was real late, 11, 11.30. Roy comes in with a lighter and a can of hairspray. And Dwight grabs a sock full of nickels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, Honestly, I don't think that's probably wrong. That is probably how... <laughs> Creed perceived that whole thing. I would love to see, I would just love to see the inner workings of Creed's brain. Like it's just like a Carnival Funhouse, like Carnival Funhouse mirrors all the time. Yeah, yeah. Mixed with a little bit of odd, murderous vibes. Um, so let's see. 
Yep. So we go back and uh, we finally make it to corporate. Um, we find out that Jan has a new assistant named Hunter. Yes. The first later appearance on, of Hunter. That's correct. We will learn later that he's a very talented musician who sings songs about his personal life that may or may not involve Jan. <laughs> uh, but Michael astutely says, uh, you didn't tell me you had a new assistant. And Jane right. says, do I need to tell you every time I hire someone new? And he says, well, I didn't know you hired James Vanderbeek, which is also like not for nothing. But I don't know if James Vanderbeek was ever that dude, <laughs> like the dude that people were like, oh, my God, it's James Vanderbeek. Oh, when he but, was on uh, Dawson's Creek. Oh, yeah. Like way you think back so, in though? the day. All right. I knew I a lot know. of girls who were into him. But I was also at the, like, the perfect age for girls in for my girls age to group to right, be yeah. into Dawson's Creek, you know. Okay, that's fair. I mean, he always looked kind of funny. <laughs> he's just a interesting-looking dude. I don't think he's the conventional heartthrob. Um, and I just think it's a funny old pull for Michael to make, you know? like Yeah, he actually this, – this is going off topic a bit, but he plays um, – one of Robin's exes in How I Met Your Mother, and it's pretty funny. Oh, so. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, so, so we start. We start. Daryl's not allowed in the room. Daryl is. Mm-hmm. Daryl is outside, kind of just giving moral support after teaching some brand new black phrases. Uh, what is it? Bippity boppity, give me the zoppity. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> is that the one. Bippity yeah, boppity, yeah. give me the zoppity. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. That's the one. Stuff our Negroes. <laughs> Stuff oh, us Negroes say. That's right. Um, so, I mean, instantly it starts off on the wrong foot, right? Jan says we can't bring up our relationship. We have to keep this professional, keep it about the work. Um, and then instantly um, she says, well, we could do X percent, whatever it is, 5%, 6%. And Michael says, after everything I've done for you, like instantly breaking the pact of not bringing up the relationship. Yeah, instant. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, his immediate response is to withhold intercourse from Jane, which Toby thinks is going to be a monumental note in the inevitable deposition. It's such a great scene. Like, he's yeah. just like, he just plays it so perfect. He's like, well, this is going to inevitably goes to trial. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I've never heard of that. I've, I've heard of the other, the reverse. Right. Well, I think that yeah, I think that's that's the point, right? Right, like right. Uh, obviously, yeah. Um, well, I think specifically too the fact that uh, Michael is the subordinate, also. Right. Yeah. Uh, so Toby's excused from the room after being called a pervert for doing his job, <laughs> um, and then Chan reveals that she can offer Michael twelve percent, but he has to ask for fifteen. Like right. I think twelve is her high point. Um, Michael seems like he gets it. Gets it. Asks for fifteen. She says no. I could give you twelve. Michael clearly doesn't get it. Uh, we right. imagine she explains it to him, and he gets his twelve, and that's great. Mm-hmm. We never really talk about if Daryl gets his raise, but we assume he does too, right? Uh, no, no. He says uh, at the end of the episode, Daryl and I came and got what we wanted: higher salaries. So right. Daryl okay. got his raise as well. So that's fair, um, mm-hmm. which also points out like what Daryl was saying. was Obviously, the point wasn't that Daryl was undeserving, but it was Michael holding him back because he was getting paid like a chump. Right. You know, and in, especially in the corporate world, 12% is a 
I mean, green, he's underpaid, but still, twelve percent's a big raise. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, so, especially uh, well, a inside way. a job. Yeah, because I've definitely gotten bigger in that moving jobs, but never year over year kind of raise. That's right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if he hasn't been getting raises for years, anyways, then maybe they are like, you know, let's get ahead of this and offer him something substantial. It's still probably under what he deserves, but right, you know, right. Then that's true too. I'm, I'm just saying, like. For those who aren't in the know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so that's that. That's great. Mm. Um, Jim, everybody's leaving for the day. Angela has done her research. Uh, she has like nice, a nice little folder from Toby's desk of the various accounts about it. And uh, she goes up to Dwight flirtatiously and says that they should read this uh, as their date that night. Yeah. Um, this culminates into them hardcore baking out on an accounting desk. Uh, Jim leaves the bathroom to stumble upon this, only to hide back in the bathroom. And the look on his face is like, oh my god. Yeah. Uh, and then he offers this as his gift to Dwight to never reveal this secret. Right. Which uh, he does. That's great. Mm. Um, of course, at this point, Pam has known this for a while. Since Jim's party, basically, right? Right, yeah. yeah. And yeah, and that was last season. Right. So, so she's yeah. in, but it's definitely around traveling salesmen that we 100% know for sure that she knows. Right. Uh, there might be, I don't remember if there's other stuff in there that's like, that points to her knowing as well, but. Yeah. Um, the episode ends with this kind of odd ending tag and I'm going to bring it up. And I, my first question is, is this canon or not? But basically Andy comes back from anger management. He, uh, you know, he comes out of his car, walks upstairs. He says, welcome back. You know, he says, welcome back to himself in front of everybody. And Dwight sprays him with pepper spray again, mm-hmm. uh, or rather sprays pepper spray again, this time at Andy. Andy goes on the floor and he's screaming or whatever. Now, the beginning of the next episode, Andy comes back proper. He's got his box of stuff and he's trying to convince people to call him Drew. So does this not happen? Uh, you know, maybe one of those things where he had like a box, you know, I mean, it depends. I mean, they don't have a lot of stuff, but maybe he just was going to come in at the be- end of the day to like drop some stuff off and like bring the rest or whatnot. So we're saying that we definitely think Andy got pepper sprayed. That's no, why I'm not saying that. I definitely think that because I, I honestly I never thought about it. But you're yeah. right that he there definitely could be something there. Maybe not. Like I wonder if it, it was like a joke, a gag, a bit, you know. And they're yeah. like, let's just add it to the end of the episode just for whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's not a canon kind of thing, right? Uh, there is a, a big piece we got to talk about because Roy comes in to get his check. And yep. ask Pam for, you know, coffee and they go and uh, she, you know, they're, they're, they're just kind of like trying to figure out what's going on with each other. At least he is, um, you know, he's like, but you, well, first he says that she, you know, broke off the wedding because of him. And she says she didn't. But in Beach Days, she says she does. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty fresh, the whole thing, I imagine. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm okay with her being a little inconsistent. Again, I'm someone's got to fight for Pam in this podcast, Jacob, and it's clearly not going to be you. I love Pam. Get out of here. You hate her. No, I love Pam. You think she's a whore. You basically said so much. (laughs) Someone's got to play devil's advocate here. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. All right. So, what did you think of the episode? I, uh,. I, well, I mean, so to say I like the episode is ridiculous because I like these episodes. <laughs> season three is my season. I like them all. Um, yeah, it's it's up there. I think uh, I think I'm going to give it a, a 3.5 out of five Zoppities. <laughs> yeah, I really like this episode. Uh, it's pretty brisk. Lots of stuff happening. Funny all the way around. Just really great episode to me. Uh, so I gave it a four out of five bisexual suits. Okay. At the very least, right? <laughs> uh, great. I like it. So we continue on to... Safety training. Yeah, this is a classic episode for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, directed by Harold Ramis. Uh, written by BJ Novak. All-star team right here. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, fun fact, maybe it's not a fact. I don't really know. But my girlfriend started watching this show called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, okay. which is a uh, show on the CW. Uh, it uh, seems funny from what little I've seen, but essentially they're, they're, it's like slightly musical. And there's one bit where they're singing, uh, I think it's a song from Les Mis, and a line talks about B.J. Novak using water in California to help run his ecstasy lab or something <laughs> like that. And then we see BJ Novak in the song and he's like, what? And then that's it. Like he's in it for like one more line later where he's like, okay, going to go back to be making ecstasy or whatever. And I always wondered like, is that because BJ Novak did ecstasy or is that some super random thing? Cause like who would know BJ Novak by name other than office people? I don't know. I mean, he became really popular during the office his time on the office. But did he though? I mean, he was in *Glorious Bastards* for like a beat. He had two lines in that movie. I'm just saying, the Office itself was so popular that he became a, a sort of a household name. I don't know. I mean, Ryan, maybe. I just don't think people know who B.J. Novak is. That he wrote for the show. That he was, you know, like, and I know he was like one of the main titled people. But um. I don't know. I don't buy it. I just don't think people know his name. I think <laughs> I think that was just a really weird bit in that show that I don't watch where they name somebody who I really don't think people know their name. <laughs> but I guess you're a BJ Novak fan. And uh, maybe I'm underestimating his popularity. Yeah. I tried to watch his stand-up. It was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Mindy Kaling's. Like, they just like, stick to writing and acting. Don't do stand-up. Yeah, it, uh, all that kind of humor just gets super different when you deliver it in a different way like that. So yeah. that's that's fair. Uh, yeah. So safety so, training opens yes. up. Andy coming back, and he's trying to be Drew. That's correct. And Jim is like, nope, not calling yeah. you that, which, I don't know, kind of an asshole move. <laughs> you know, or like he's really trying to change. Yeah, it's, it's a little... Uh, I mean, it is weird, too. Andy doesn't really, like, walk them into that either. He doesn't say, hey, uh, I want my name to change because of this. He's like, nope, I'm Drew now. That's true. So maybe Andy's the asshole. 
which, yeah. I'm, which I'm okay with. That's fair. <laughs> I'm a big Andy fan, but he's oh. the asshole. <laughs> um, Dwight is shunning Andy, we find out. Which is it's pretty funny in this episode, but... Yeah. So where did Andy go sit? That's something I was trying to figure out, because he... Like, I guess it's kind of back near Cree because he, like, you see him, like, he goes in between Phyllis and Dwight and just kind of walks in the back corner. Well, I believe he ends up sitting at Martin's old desk. That's right. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, And, of course, we know he eventually moves over to Karen's spot. But, yeah, Mm -hmm. I think for for the time being, he sat at Oscar's desk, he sat at Martin's desk, then he gets his own desk. A lot of people Uh, sit at Oscar's desk. Yeah. A lot of people have had sex on Oscar's desk, apparently. <laughs> Is it a lot or just... Well, I guess a lot of sex was had on that desk. <laughs> despite how people. many people did it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we just actually watched that episode today. Was... Oh, boy. Yeah, Oscar is very disappointed in what's happening. <laughs> we never found the bottom of that champagne, did we? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Andy walks in. He's trying to be called Drew. No one wants to do it. Dwight hates him. Um but the point of this episode is the safety training. So mm-hmm. the office staff go downstairs to participate in Daryl's safety training seminar. Uh, the reason they're doing safety training, they either do it once a year or when a serious accident occurs. They've um, never made it a full year. <laughs> that is correct. So the serious incident in this particular case is that Daryl was up high reaching for a box to get something on a ladder. Uh, that letter was removed from his personal space, causing Daryl to hang from a shelving, ultimately falling down, injuring his ankle. Um, the line that was said as Daryl fell to the ground was, Daryl, how's it hanging? Which 100% would have gotten Michael fired. That's exactly right. 110,000% would have gotten him fired. Yeah. Uh, why he still has a job after this is the surprise. Right, thing. yeah. And, you know, part, it's kind of funny because, you know, it's like, okay, you know, this is the forklift. It's a very dangerous piece of machinery. You know, you have to have a licensed driver. Michael's like, well, I can drive it. Right. And, and Daryl gets onto him. But, like, why does Michael, like, keep pushing it so hard that he can do all these things? Like, because he thinks it makes him cool or? Well, part of me, I, I think you're right. I think part of that is because he thinks it's cool. I think part of it is because he's trying to like show, like, well, I'm the boss and I know how to do everything. Um, there really is no reason for him to keep doing it, though. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, and uh, no one is a fan of it. Even uh, Lonnie is yelling at him. <laughs> he's like, damn it, Michael, pay attention. This is important, Michael. Yeah, so, uh, but right, so Michael wants to. The Baylor. The Baylor. Baylor, I hardly knew her. Damn it, Michael. But we, we even see this in Michael's last episode. Where he's like, Daryl said I could use a Baylor. No, we didn't. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's a really good bit, the too. Baylor, the Baylor comes up a few times uh, throughout the, the series. And then once more this episode. But I'm pretty sure there's at least one more time where the Baylor comes up. Right. Yeah. Um... We meet uh, Madge, Madge, who we believe her name was Pudge. Pudge. <laughs> <laughs> um, Madge, of course, is also in the, uh, I think it's Women's Appreciation episode. or Yeah. 
uh, women's work day, something like that. One of those two episodes. I always confuse the two names, but basically all the men are downstairs in the warehouse doing some men's appreciation and, uh, Madge is basically sitting in our house that day. Happening, but this, well, cause I think women's appreciation, that's not the name of that mall episode where they go to the mall, is it? Yes. The one we're looking for is, um, in season two. It's not well. Oh, you know what? So the event is called "Women in the Workplace." Women, yes, women in the workplace. But I forget what the episode's called. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. Fight, Halloween, fire. Uh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's the one you're thinking of because Roy yeah. was there, so it that's can't right. obviously be now. That's correct. Yeah, yeah Roy yeah. is gone, and we only see him like two more times. Yeah, for the rest of the series. <laughs> um. So she leaves. Does she doesn't go upstairs either? So maybe she just gave herself the day off, and I think that's fair. Uh, no, uh, well, that's the other day. I, I've I've reverted to uh, women in the workplace. Okay, sorry. So we find out her name is Madge. Um, Daryl's still hobbling around or whatever on his broken leg. It's all very sad. Uh, also, we get our subplot here of Kevin and Jim starting to bet on things that causes the whole office to start betting on things, which is hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's great. It is one of the better office just things. And I honestly thought there were more bets in this, but I guess there wasn't. Yeah, I mean, do we have a list of bets? There's uh, uh yeah, there's, how many people get crushed by the bailer? How many, yes, or yes, arms taken off by the bailer. Then there was the jelly bean bet at um, Pam's desk. Pam's desk. There was that Kelly's. Kelly's Netflix bet. Right. And then the Creed bet with the potato. Creed and the potato. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great bets. Yeah. It, it's a really funny thing. It's too bad. Like it wasn't more or less or whatever. Or like in another episode or it became a frequent thing that they did in the office. But uh, it's okay. It's nice that it's here. I'm glad I got yeah. a little taste of it. <laughs> and, you know, so one of my favorite ones was the stuff that like the stuff people won in the bet for the Netflix bet. So Ryan won money because it was over two hours and two minutes and 30 seconds. Uh, Pam won money because she used like 12 times. And Jim won money because she uh, mentioned six romantic comedies. Right. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's really specific. I'm not, I'm not a big betting man myself, uh, but I do know that there are always these weird side bets when you're like doing, you know, horse racing and all that kind of jazz. And uh, yeah, well, because I mean, I've done stuff like this with my friends. It's just a lot of fun. We just like think of the most random crap ever to see what. We'll... Right. <laughs> no, it's, horse racing gets crazy. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I at least just doing it once or twice, but. Well, Kevin's got a gambling problem, so <laughs> hopefully he, he broke even by the end of this whole day. <laughs> um, so we're upstairs now where the office staff is getting their safety training, uh, and ultimately it's not a lot. Stand mm-hmm. up every 10 minutes to relax your eyes. Step away from your computer every 10 minutes to avoid carpal tunnel. Uh, stand up every 10 minutes to do stretches. That's like 40 minutes an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Take them at the same time. That's right. But <laughs> uh, and then we learned that, you know, it's uh, – it's, it's fat butt disease. That's correct. The uh, sedentary lifestyle is fat butt disease that mm-hmm. causes heart attacks and all that kind of jazz. Then we have uh, 
seasonal affective disorder, which causes depression and suicides. I mean, super unrelated. Right. Uh, you get a little sad in the winter, which may cause depression, which may push you towards suicide. But it's quite a few leaps you have to make before you get there. But Michael takes this ball, runs with it, because he was accused of having a nerf life. Right. And I, I think it was one of those things where older Pam probably doesn't say what she says to Michael. Cause uh-huh. She's like, well, they had props. And I right. think, you know, season six, Pam is like smart enough to know at this point, like, no, 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 you cannot put those type of ideas in Michael's head. Right. Because this is going to start something that I was right. not ready for. Yeah. Which I, I don't remember which episode it was, but she's like, sometimes you just got to catch a Michael train of thought before it goes off the rails and destroys the town. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, Pam offers a lot of nuggets of like, I know how to play Michael right. in a way that like. Even maybe other people who have worked with Michael as long don't know that, you know, answering the phone, like uh, transferring the phone call after a failed (laughs) salutation kind of thing or, uh, yeah, you know, during the whole thing where I think the office is kind of debating, should they get new chairs or a new copier, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Is that it? Well, yeah, she does play Michael really well there. Yeah. Um, but also too, when she thinks she might get fired during Halloween back in season two, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, same thing. She just knows how to like laugh at Michael's jokes or whatever. So, you know, despite Pam's professional skills, she is very perceptive and knows Michael pretty well in this situation. Um, let's see. What else do we learn that, um, Kelly telling Ryan that she would that he wouldn't defend her like it's proven true in this episode because you know I don't remember the, the warehouse worker's name but he's like yeah his fat butt disease uh, Michael and she's like oh you're one to talk sea monsters like you like to take a swim with a sea monster yeah it's uh <laughs> and then it's, Ryan's like you Kelly you should apologize you've offended the nice man yeah yeah, it's like I mean, a douchey it's, thing. It was yeah. It's probably one of the worst moves for for Ryan in that situation. Um, yeah, it's great, good old classic, fun. And th- also th- through a talking head, we learned that Michael worked at the men's warehouse. Yes. Um, so he did work on a warehouse. Yeah, it was very difficult. He gets it. Which is um, a great place. If you need soup. Just just saying. Give it a shot, guys. <laughs> Uh, so Michael puts in motion a plan, a plan to fake a suicide attempt to not only educate the warehouse on the dangers of office life. Um, I don't know. That's about it. That's what he wants to do. But it right, but turns out him says, almost like, actually committing suicide. <laughs> but he also says like, it also gets the people to maybe think they should have been nicer to me or something. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, half of it is for this weird reason of the White House. And the other half is like really close to being actual suicidal thoughts. <laughs> it kind of gets to this weird oh. dark place where people are like, you're going to die and he's going to do it still. You know? <laughs> and of course, you could chalk it up to Michael just not understanding how physics works, which is a totally valid reason. But Michael is a sad guy sometimes. See, part of me wonders if, um, like, there was a movie where this happened. Like, if this is, like, a a reference to something in particular. Right. Because, you know, Mike only works in references. So 
he must have had this idea from somewhere. So I wonder where, like, like if it's been done before. Yeah, I mean, it might have been done in like not this particular context. You know, maybe someone faked something else, and he extrapolated that to let me jump off a three-story right, building onto yeah, a bouncy castle. What I, I'm yeah. wondering. Dwight, you ignorant slut, is a uh, is a uh, reference to an SNL skit from 1978 where Dan Aykroyd calls Jane Curtin an ignorant slut. Nice. Maybe he goes, Jane, you ignorant slut. So that's pretty great. But uh, it, forever in my head, it's always going to be Dwight, you ignorant slut. He just more, delivers it so well. The but. more I've watched this and, you know, for lack of a better word, studied The Office, the right. more throwaway lines I'm finding out are references to something. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, like you said, Michael really only works in references, so mm. sometimes it's almost hard to keep track of how many there are. <laughs> so, um, but his first idea is a trampoline. Yes. Which, one, I don't think there's any way that trampoline wouldn't break if he hit it. Yeah. Two, you know, he probably goes through the the mat, you know, just like (laughs) breaks his legs, dies. Yeah, I I do feel like the trampoline might have been safer if he, like, landed in such a way on his back. Um, Because I think if you – if he has extended his, you know, weight distribution wide enough that all the springs should be working. As opposed to, like you said, if he lands on his feet, he's going through that thing and breaking his feet. But Right. Well, the bouncy castle. The other problem like no is the thing. angle. You know, yeah, that's you got to be I coming think, pretty much straight down. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I don't think he would have made the jump regardless of what he used. It, it seemed like he put whatever it was too far away from the building. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Like bouncy yeah. castle seemed really far away from the building. Yeah, he's he's a crazy guy. So they 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 test the trampoline uh, with a watermelon. Yeah, and it hits the very edge. I don't know if you spent a lot of time with trampolines, but. but <laughs> You know, we we used to have one growing up. So, but he at the very edge and it shoots the watermelon over and over. It's like, oh no, that's not good. Right, right. But later with the bouncy castle, they say the tests uh, aren't going so well. It's like I want to see the watermelon bouncy castle test. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the inside of that thing probably looks like a bunch of murdered fruit. Right? <laughs> it, again, things that are like bad for. Mike, like Michael spending money. So a trampoline happens. That's a couple hundred bucks. Right. Michael tells Dwight to go put it in the baler. Renting a bouncy castle can't be that cheap. Right. I mean, no. I've never done it myself, but I can't imagine it's less than a hundred bucks. Yes. Uh, and not to mention, too, I mean, he probably won't. Michael doesn't seem the guy to do it, but any damage that was incurred on Stanley's car. <laughs> Yeah, no. Well, one, how many takes did that take? (laughs) Yeah, if I recall, let me see if I could find it here. But I think that um, I don't think they were intentionally trying to do it, and it just happened, and then they played it into it. But uh, but it seemed like it would have done way more damage to his car than it did. Like, right? You would think that thing would dent out a car being dropped from that far and that angle and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's a good point. <laughs> it's tough. It's it's a tough one. Um, so so finally, Michael feels ready. 
he's stopped trying the watermelons because if they keep trying, they keep failing, he's not going to want to do it anymore. As if that weren't the point of these tests anyways. <laughs> right, um, and so he's like, no, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to doing not thinking and Dwight starts doing his air guitar yep. singing about how he's going to rip like Michael's going to rip a hole in the sun yeah <laughs> show him who's boss um, so Dwight starts to gather everybody in the office where we find out that uh, it is not too cold out but uh, you could wear a long sleeve tee if you wanted to or yes you'll everyone will be comfortable in exactly what they're wearing yeah that's right <laughs> um Everybody goes outside and they give this magnificent performance of Michael wanting to commit suicide. Oh, it's so it's gonna... tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a rough scene, you know. Um, I remember it's... watching it for the first time. It's like, what in the ever-loving world is going on here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this would get Michael fired also. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's just chalk that up there. Well, um, I don't know if it would get Michael fired, but it would definitely get him sent to uh, some type of some management, management training. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, halfway through the the bit, Michael realizes the office guys are not there, so Dwight has to go get them, and Michael starts from the top. Right. Which, <laughs> like at that point, you got to know everyone knows what's up, right? Right. Then Creed comes out. One, I f- I'm pretty sure I spotted Hide in the background. It was one oh, of yeah. the office workers, so I didn't didn't know he was in it that early. Yeah, maybe, I wouldn't have picked him for that either. Maybe he's like cool. a writer, works on the show or something. Oh, uh, sure. Uh, yeah. But then Creed comes by, obviously have having taken a piss behind the bushes. He's like, hey, there's a bouncy house back here. Yep. And so they they go over there, and you see Pam look at the bouncy house, look up at the building, and just this this wave of recognition rolls over her head like, oh, my God. He's going to do this really stupid thing, and he's going to die trying. Yep. Um, and Jim and Pam do like this great, like mom, dad, good cop, bad cop thing where they try to talk Michael down, you know, um, Pam very craftily is like, Hey, I have a present for you or whatever, you know? Um, and it almost gets him. Right. It almost gets Michael, but, uh, Dwight's improv skills are not as good. (laughs) He offers up a toy that no one wants. Expo female robot. I mean, that could be cool. (laughs) Uh, well, what does he want it for, Jacob? That's what I want to know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> All right, as long as as long as that's that's how the Daryl gets on there. He's like, "Don't do it, man. You got a lot of stuff to live for." Yeah. And Michael asks, "What do I have to live for?" And Daryl can't think of anything. If you start looking at the faces of like Jim and Pam, and everyone else, they're all frantically searching for something to tell Michael, and they can't right. do it. Right. <laughs> Um, eventually Daryl is able to, well, I mean, one to Michael, Daryl is like the coolest guy. He he is, you know, he's black. He's from the hood. Michael perceives him as a friend. Um, despite the pranks, there's a lot of respect. I think that Michael has for Mm Daryl. So Daryl goes on and says, takes a lot of bravery to be you. I couldn't do it. Uh, you know, you you have to wake up every day and be you. (laughs) 
Yeah. Which, to be fair, that's a terrible, like, it's a really backhanded, like, backhanded thing there. Like, that's you're, right. Yeah. You're, you're a crazy person. You brave heart. <laughs> um, there is a, uh, there is a throwaway line where, um, despite Daryl's description of lovely, lovely Jan, Michael says he doesn't know where things are going with Jan. And so sex at, isn't as good as it used to be. Yeah. So we know at this stage, Michael's already having doubts about his relationship with Jan. Um, but this all works. Daryl talks him out of it. Michael comes down the ladder. Great applause. Presumably he's wanting the gift that Pam had. Yes. Uh, it's like, I'm still coming for my gift. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's all very emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, the end of the episode ends, but Stanley realizing his car. Um, I will also point out the obvious that watermelon and black people have a, uh, it's tough. I had, <laughs> don't, I don't, yeah. He, yep. I had yeah, not he, ever made that, that connection, but he yes. does say when, when he hits Stanley's car to call Jesus. that lawyer from, yeah. Season two to see if he handles hate crimes. That's right. James P. Albini. That's right. James P. Albini. Yep. So, so there you go. That we just, that's our last image. Stanley staring open mouth at his car covered in racist. It's like, it's it's not the last time stuff happens to his car either. No, that's true too. Yeah. (laughs) So it ends up becoming a running, running gag for the show. Yeah. Um, okay. So Jacob, what do you think? Uh, this is a good one. Uh, funny. It's pretty breezy, you know, like it never really slows down. Um, so that's nice. There's no real pacing issues. Uh, so I gave this a 3.25 out of five swims with the sea monster. All right. Uh, I gave it a bit higher. I went as high as five out of five minutes away from your computer. Oh, wow. Uh, it's, I don't know. Dwight, you ignorant slut. I mean, it gets me. That is just, <laughs> no, it is, that's it a, is a great, great line. We didn't even like really touch on it, but like at the very end, he's like, am I a hero? I don't know. But yes, yes, I am a hero. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. In that classic way where Michael is always complimenting himself. Right. Yeah. Um, and our final episode, right? Mm-hmm. Product Recall. Um, directed by Randall Einhorn and written by Justin Sprince, Justin Spitzer and Brent Forrester. Yeah. And it opens with maybe the most iconic cold open ever. It is where the famous lines bears beats Battlestar Galactica are uttered. That's right. And what's funny is like, if you watch Pam again, it's all in the eyes. Like, Jim walks in, her eyes light up, and she knows what's up. She right. knows what's coming. And you sit down, and, you, and Jim sits down and throws on the glasses and just goes for it. Yep. It is so good. Like, I feel bad even talking about it since it's so iconic, but it is so good. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, obviously, we assume that if you listen to the show, you've seen the cold open. But if not, YouTube it. It's, I mean, uh, it it's, is. It, yeah. If from from our friend Nate's website, the theofficequotes.com, uh, it is the number one, like upvoted, like quote ever. Oh wow! Yep, I, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great line. <laughs> um, 
so ends with Michael, uh, the the word Michael rather, because they both storm off shouting Michael's name. Right. Um. And and we jump into it now. Let me let me say this: the the issue that we have here is that Dunder Mifflin paper has been assaulted with an offensive watermark. Mm-hmm. Now it was literally only the past couple weeks where I realized that paper you can buy for printing even has a watermark on it sometimes because i had to buy resume paper for work and once i got it back i realized it had a like really subtle watermark for the company that made the paper mm-hmm. and i was thinking to myself that's so stupid why would i want like what's the point like am i expecting anybody who receives this document to notice the watermark and think like oh that's fancy well, I mean, I mean yeah. should the quality of the paper just speak for itself? Well, yes, but I mean, maybe not so much for paper manufacturers, but it's say you're manufacturing paper for a specific company, you know, and they want their logo as a watermark, you know, to give some validity to like documents and things like that. But you're talking, are you talking like a header though? Like a header. Well, sometimes it's a header. Sometimes it's a watermark. Because, like, the watermark on this paper that I had was, like, smack dab in the middle. So right. I print on it or whatever, and it's not – you're barely going to notice it unless you're looking for it. Just But when you're looking at a blank piece of paper, it's pretty apparent. Right. Just seemed weird. <laughs> Didn't know that was a thing. So they're talking about this watermark or whatever, and I assumed it was something entirely different. But now I am aware, and we have these two barnyard animals having sex. Right. <laughs> and so it was 500 boxes – which doesn't seem like a lot of boxes, right? I'd agree. Yep. But I, I looked it up and did the math, and it's actually 2.5 million sheets of paper. Oh. Because there's oh. 5,000 There's five thousand sheets per box. Huh. Which I wouldn't have guessed, but because a box is 10 reams, and a ream is 500 pieces of paper. So, yes, I did the math, so you didn't have to. You're welcome out there. There you go. If you are if you found us on Reddit, give us upvotes because <laughs> we, we figured it out. So Michael calls a conference meeting, and he another great one, you know, line where he says, cry, cry man squaw, F and C, double time. Yeah. And I was like, why are you talking like that? To save time. What does this mean? What does this mean? And so he gets in this whole thing about how he's actually wasting time by. Right. Having to elaborate on all these short phrases he's created for this situation. Right. Um, and this is the first episode where Creed is really the catalyst for the plot. Yeah. Because he is in quality assurance and he's supposed to go um, check the, the mills once a week. Right. And the one year he blew it off, this happened. So, yeah, I mean, the one year is like great, right? It's like yeah. this year he's decided not to go at all any week. Right. I mean, and again, when did this episode air? Um, da, 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 da. Okay, episode aired in April. So it's been months. It's been four months he hasn't visited, which is like, or, what, 16 weeks. Or maybe it's one of those things where he's like, maybe the beginning of the year, he's like, screw it. I'm just not going to do it anymore. <laughs> it's not worth well, that, my time. Yeah, that could be too. I mean, it's just nuts. That's just so much time. 
Um, but yeah, you're right. He is he is front and center for at least the the situation that's happening. Maybe not right. the story, but yeah, he he does get his own fun little side plot where he is trying to figure out how he cannot get blamed for this. Um, but we do know he will do anything to keep this job, uh, like a homeless person, like, like he did when he was a homeless person. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's so good, and so obviously. Everything's going crazy because there's this obscene watermark on, and from what they show on the, um, like on the, uh, on the on the screen, you know, right? It's much more than just a watermark. Like watermarks yes. are supposed to be v- v- very Super subtle, very yeah. subtle. Maybe you only see them when you hold them up to light, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, this is basically gray printed animal sex right yeah yeah which apparently they got exactly right according to dwight because he's seen animals doing it every you know goat on chicken a couple chickens on a goat you know, yeah ca- that's right cow on whore all this other stuff it's like yeah wow i didn't know uh i didn't know animals got down like that dwight <laughs> <laughs> thanks thanks for the information <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I don't think we should ever take the Shroot Farm as a basis for proper animal behavior. Like, is this cause... like is this Isle of Doctor Moreau going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is the right reference there, right? I think yes. It's good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so the so one yeah. of the big people that have been hit is a high school, one of the local high schools. They accidentally sent out their prom invitations on it. That's right. My or do I, Jim is gonna go. He's like, "Look, I got this. No big deal." Like, no, you need to take, you need to take someone else. Ryan volunteers. Like, no, I need someone who's actually made a sale. Andy, you go. Right. <laughs> so I need two men on this. That's what she said. No, no time. time. <laughs> that's what she said. But that's what she said. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we got the high school to worry about, and then the other big one is a local business owner. Right, because uh, Michael decides it's really important to have a press conference. Yeah, yeah. Uh, honestly, if no one had said anything, it would have been like, uh, like a two-minute story on the evening news, and that would have been it. Yeah. Uh, Barbara Allen is who. Uh, Barbara Allen, yes. We are going to gift a six months of free paper or twenty-five reams, whichever happens first. Depending on the size of the business, like how much paper she uses, that yeah, twenty-five reams is going to last like three yeah, weeks, or it just could be like a nice little discount. Yeah. Um, so we got uh, we got a reporter coming in from Scranton Times, as you said, who writes for um, all a, types of things, including obits. Of, yeah, obits, yeah. lighter side of life. But like, I, I was thinking about it, like we. I mean, granted, it's just, this is just for like my group at work, which is like fifteen people. We probably go through. 10 or 50 10 to 20 reams a week it's because we just print a lot yeah yeah i mean yeah we we probably go about through as many at my office too so um it's not that much yeah but i mean if they uh yeah if they use that much paper it's probably sweet i mean she's happy well she's happy to receive it anyways but she is not happy about the apology well right because she wants somebody to pay do we we find out what (laughs) she does um, uh, I don't think so. Uh, we just know she's a local business owner. <laughs> yeah. She, uh, Clyde of Dunder Mifflin, who was affected. Da, 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 promise Michael. Yada, yada. Nope. Yeah. We don't really figure out what it is that she does. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. 
this is a great little subplot where Kelly is teaching the accountants how to be customer service. Yes. She's like, well, and she's one, she's thrilled about it. <laughs> he's like, congratulations, you're no longer losers. Yeah. But one thing and we can, we, we'll, we'll just hit now. Like one thing I, I did find interesting is like in this episode, you see just how good Kelly really is at customer service. Oh yeah. And yeah. even when she's training him, like when she's trying to like tell Angela, she's doing a bad job. She's like, Oh, you did that so well, but like she right. was actually really good at that. Like you don't see that at a Kelly at a Kelly very much. Yeah, I think um, you know way way later during the Saber era, Kelly is selected as the minority manager in training, something or other. You know. Yeah. And I think, like, it all wasn't the fact that she was just Indian. You know, I mean, Gabe obviously has to do this interview and put his recommendation in, but. Um, you know, presumably Kelly's own work experience and like her credentials are probably good enough for Saber to realize that she, you know, you know, does a good job. She's been the only customer service person that, you know, company for like eight years. Right. Uh, so, you know, she's pretty integral. So, yeah, no, she's, uh, she, you're right. She's good. Angela is just a very difficult person to train. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it becomes a, a funny thing at the end where they're trying to, they're trying to get her to say I'm sorry because she wouldn't say I'm sorry. She's like right. the the company's official position is apologetic. Yeah, you know, she wouldn't say I'm sorry. That's right. Uh, she does later on say sorry to Oscar during a, an attempt to be sarcastic. Right. But uh, Kevin and Oscar take that as a as a win for them anyways and do some nerdy poor high fives. <laughs> then we got uh, Jim and Andy at the high school. Right. Lord, beer me strength. That's right. Yeah, one of my uh, favorite gym lines ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we well, learned that Andy's a pedophile. Okay, that girl is obviously totes in high school. Like, just looking at her, like, yep, you're in high school. Well, let's. Well, that's the thing. I don't think that's clear that she's in high school. First of all, um, I think that she looks exactly like a person who is in high school or a person who could be teaching high school. Like she looks like she's sixteen or thirty six. No, you look. You look at that lady, Jacob. I did. I I made sure I did for no. because I knew we were gonna have this conversation. No, my girlfriend and I were watching that episode and we paused it and we're staring at this chick and we're like, I have no idea how old she is. Uh, she uh, looked fourteen to me, but she was a part time yogurt professional. Is, 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 is that how we said it? Um. Maybe it was a part-time yogurt chef or something or artist. Definitely tried to give her a higher right, quality game than deserved. I, yeah. I wrote it down. Uh, oh, well. So, yeah. Uh, oh, I, I did write this thing, like, because Andy really overreacts to it. Well. Yeah, Andy really overreacts to this because it's obvious that they really haven't gone on any dates yet, right? He's just like hung out at the yogurt shop with her. And it's I mean, like, they, yeah, she. I mean, she knows him by name, so it's possible they might have texted each other or something. Like, there's a, there's a little something going on, I think. Yeah, this is like Andy. Like, he needs more than anger management. He needs like full on therapy, which is very obvious from like the. 
the mind job his parents did to him. <laughs> well, I, I just want to say this, that I, I can't say that it's okay to just say that Andy is a pedophile because that, <laughs> oh, I because, know. <laughs> because that means he has to knowingly be, a, well, he has to be attracted to like, I think it's their age is what is also part of it. Right. The fact well, that he thought she was not a child, I think right. gives him a, a little bit of leeway. I know. I'm just giving him hell. Okay, well, come on. He's 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 like a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy's like, who was that guy she was with? It's like, it doesn't matter. Why not? Because it's a felony. That's right. <laughs> the actress's name who plays Jamie, the high school student, is uh, Shira Scott Astroff. That's a cannot, name. Cannot for the life of me find her age, though. Because <laughs> I'm just really curious, like... Is she as young as she was supposed to have been? Oh, I doubt it. She was probably older, right? Oh, yeah. But that's what I mean. That's why I think it's fair for Andy to be confused. Because if a 25-year-old actress could play a high school student, <laughs> then why would we not think she's 25, you know? It's just uh, it's unfair. I can't, well, maybe I can find her age. <laughs> well, a it's Google like- search of her crazy name and age does not bring up anything. She wasn't in enough, I think, for IMDb to care. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Huh. Hmm. That's a, that, I mean, that's a name. Holy hell. That's a name, yeah. It's definitely not a Hollywood name. She was on The Bachelor. Huh. Well, that means she had to have been at least 18 by that time, right? Well, but I don't know when she was on The Bachelor. I just know she was on The Bachelor at some point. That's not your business, Jake. <laughs> okay, let's see. Um, Pacific Blue. Well, well, she was in something in 1998. <laughs> well, just to give you a reference, my little brother was four years old in 1998. So she was obviously not four because she, she played uncredited female prisoner number two. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Apparently, she's very, very against speciesisms for dogs. That picture also showed up for me. All right, let's let's get back <laughs> on track here. Um, so, yeah, so Andy's having trouble letting go. He'd like to pay for a uh, a full page ad in the yearbook. Two words. <laughs> Good luck are not those words. <laughs> okay, so I know we all our mind all goes to the one like the easy two words, right? Right. Like. You know, there's some other decent two word put downs, like uh, you whore, or oh, <laughs> you sure, know, stuff sure. like that. But but I and I think that's the point too, though. There's just too many variables, <laughs> you know, uh, that could be perceived as offensive. So let's, uh, yeah, I think that's. But that's a good point. There's 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 a lot. It doesn't just have to be fu. It can be a lot of different things. <laughs> it can be lots of different things, right? <laughs> and um, then. We have yep. this other stuff going on with Creed. So he, he figures out how to frame this girl who was out sick. And then Debbie Brown. Debbie Brown and then gets a card to fill with cash for her to help her out and then just takes the money and leaves. Yeah, I mean that is the most Creed that's one of the most Creed moments ever, right? He um he goes through all this effort to figure out who wasn't there last week. Right. He creates a fake reason as to why she wasn't there, 
uh, convinces multiple people that he had a appointment with her, and it was that this particular moment when the event occurred mm-hmm. gets her to resign. No, she was uh, fired. Well, I believe the the phrasing was something a little bit more nice than fired, though. Uh, I just thought maybe she was. Fired. She was. Um, it's a farewell card for her. Yeah, maybe she was let go. Maybe that was the phrasing, but. Yeah, she's leaving. Goes out of his way, gets the card, convinces all these people to give this person they've never met before money for their farewell. Uh, pockets the money, throws the card out at the entrance of the elevator downstairs. Doesn't hide it, doesn't burn it, just right at the top of the pile of garbage. Um, yeah, I mean, Creed's Creed's a badass. <laughs> That's what it is. He's a crazy dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So Michael decides it's time to make an apology video after calling the uh, what's her name Barbara Allen. Barbara Allen uh, that she you know that he needs to call the stupid biatch hotline ungrateful biatch hotline <laughs> ungrateful biatch hotline that's right that's right yeah so he makes this apology video and I swear Dwight uses a half a can of hairspray. Like on his head. Yeah. I mean, if you were to light a, like on the opposite side of the room, if you were to light a match, it would blow up. Yeah. I, uh, (laughs) part of me hopes that, uh, that was like just some type of water fixture, you know, that it wasn't actual aerosol that they were doing for the joke because that's tough. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's a lot. And even Michael himself, he's all like, he's good to go. Like at the very last minute, he's like, okay, now we're good. Yeah. Now we can call it. Yeah. But then they do it again after, like, they screw up the first one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. Um, so he gives his apology that really ends up turning into some type of weird manifesto, right? And he will not be in an escape goat. That's right. <laughs> he will not be in a scapegoat. Um, and that they have one day. <laughs> Why, Why uh, one day? Because they always give a lots of meat. He also refers to this as an embarrassing watermark boner. <laughs> Uh, yeah also like they just to go back a little bit when michael's describing the uh the cartoon characters Mm -hmm. he talks about them being like famous cartoon characters and obviously we see a bit of a picture they're nobody we know but do we think they're supposed to be yeah this universe's version of like mickey and donald well, yes, I, I think they're supposed to be Mickey and Donald, but they can't use Mickey and Donald without paying for it. And there's no way in hell Disney would let them use Mickey and Donald in that uh, in that kind of uh, environment. You don't have a lot of faith in Disney, I guess. <laughs> You're well, like, no, or, or have a, or I have more faith in Disney than. <laughs> that's right too. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, um, no. So he gives this uh, great video. Pam says, "Cut." It's over. I mean, I, I also think, you know, I was a broadcast journalism major and we were always taught to shoot more than we needed, mm-hmm. you know, so that we have stuff to cut away from. Uh, Michael seems to go the other way. And while we do know he does some fancy editing, a la his great Scott production right. company outro, um, ultimately, it just seems like he's going to literally cut the parts where Pam says cut. Right. And just take all of these weird separate things into one long video. Um, 
yeah, I, I'd I'd love to see that video. <laughs> I'd love to see what that becomes. And I what would type love of to see so play. many videos from like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 got to be a great video. We do learn he can edit decently with uh, during uh, yeah. the the commercial episode. Oh yeah, there's the commercial, and then of course we have Threat Level Midnight, which we mm. assume he's done all the post production himself. Oh yeah, yeah, which. Since you've probably done some post-production, you know that probably took a long time to do. And knowing how he shot that, all, all the you know the the fancy dance number, the high the high quality effects of Toby's head exploding, um, the tragic murder scene that was killing Oscar, you know, right? Yeah, there's some tough editing to be made for sure. <laughs> Yeah, something I don't miss too often, mainly because I just never had a computer strong enough to really do it. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. I get paid to do it, so it's okay. It bounces out at the end of the day. <laughs> All right, so uh, what do you think, sir? Well, first, there's a really good outro where Dwight tries to play the same kind of trick on Jim that he played at the beginning of the episode. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Where, so he comes in and he's like, hello, I'm Jim. Looking good, Dwight. Well, because I'm your boyfriend. Do you want to go have some sexual intercourse tonight? Right. Do you? No. Well, it's, it's funny, though, because we, we have talked about how, you know, the computers and stuff on the set are live and how people will just be, like, playing on the computers in real life. Right. Like, if you look at Jim's screen during this set, this bit, he's looking at ESPN.com. I see. So it's like, oh, yeah, yeah he... Probably bored and checking up the scores. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if there were certain characters that were asked because Jim, Jim and Dwight probably, or I guess Phyllis too, but we probably see their monitors the most. You know, but like, how often do you see Pam's computer or Kevin's yeah. computer? Like, they never get a camera in Kevin's corner. You know, right? Um, I think we're so, probably all thankful for that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, because I, I bet. Uh, Brian Baumgartner or whatever his name was <laughs> probably looked at porn on set just like Kevin to get in character. You know, <laughs> he's trying to be a pro. Trying to be a pro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, what do you think? Uh, you know, this is okay episode. It's just kind of there. Not, I mean, not a lot really happens. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's a. I gave it a two point seven. Five out of five part-time frozen yogurt specialists. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Um, but I still like it. And I, I went on the higher end here. I gave it a three out of five watermark boners. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, before we wrap up, though, sir, mm-hmm. I do have something I wanted to bring up. Okay. We got some comments on the Reddit at uh, reddit.com slash r slash Dunder Mifflin. And this is from a a listener of the show. And they wanted to point out a couple things that we missed. So I'm just going to read it verbatim and we'll just riff a bit. Okay. Uh, This is from Ambivalent Soup. He he or she says, just wanted to point out some things you all missed that I felt were important and should have been discussed in the last episode. Oscar and Gil at Pam's art show. Dwight and Angela dancing outside of Phyllis's wedding. Michael trying to get into Phyllis's wedding photos um and the wedding photographer doing a great lengths to remove him from them michael trying to advise phyllis on her wedding night dwight's passwords um and the comment may your hats fly as high as your dreams talked about that one um yeah i mean oscar and gill at the art show 
I mean, we know Gil's not so nice, and we know Oscar no. doesn't really want to stay with Gil so much uh, moving forward. So, you know, it's it's not nice, and it's too bad that Pam had to hear it. And I hate to know that Pam's ever hurting. You know, Jacob probably relishes it because he hates the poor girl. But uh, you not hate Pam, <laughs> sweet Jesus. Yeah, and you can tell too. Oscar is trying to be nice, but he still d- drops his own truth bombs about saying, you know. Pam's strengths aren't her bravery and that kind of thing. Right. Well, but again, that also sort of plays into what we saw these episodes and what we see in the beach games, but also kind of peters out. But in general, I, I would say that Pam as a character is a much stronger person going forward. Like she's a lot less pushy and she'll do, she'll do stuff. That she I mean, starting, you're right. Yeah, from this season moving forward, she definitely becomes a much more self-reliant character. Because, yeah, there's no way this, like, season two, three Pam pulls off becoming office administrator. That's right. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, we were watching that, and, uh, I mean, it's crazy. It's a huge, crazy, bold Ocean's Eleven-like tactic (laughs) where she's just like, oh, yeah, I make 40000 a year. No problem. Don't even worry about it. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, Dwight and Angela dancing outside of Phyllis's wedding. It's a really nice little scene. Yeah, it's a it's a nice moment, and uh, I I think, you know, once Jim and Pam are wrapped up and they have you know just a couple of bumps here and there, really, um, you know, there's some bigger ones later on which we'll talk about when we get there that I hate, <laughs> but um, really the there's like three huge couples that you got to walk away from this show from. It's Jim and Pam, it's Michael and Holly, and it's Dwight and Angela. And realistically, Dwight and Angela are probably the second most important storyline on the show in terms of those relationships. Um, Michael's a key character, and he has a lot of relationships, so of course it's important. But the show ends with right. a wedding. Those well, characters. I, I was kind of thinking about it, like the the Jim or Dwight Angela relationship is a much longer winding road, you know. Yeah. But it's also not as much in front of you. But I would argue that it's probably as important. I don't know. It might be as important because there's a lot of there's a lot of um, plot details and stuff that are generated from their relationship. Right, and a lot of other plot details are directly directly affect that relationship. Right, the gay senator. Um, mm. Dwight's time with Pam's friend, um, you know, I mean, yeah, basically anytime any one of those two are dating someone else it affects the other person somehow, um, Andy has a huge storyline that is directly involved with all that stuff that we're going to see moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a big point and sometimes we don't touch on it or whatever, but it's, you well, know, I mean, just think about, you know, spoiler alert for, you know, a show that's been off the air for three or four years now right. you know how big of a deal the season um four or five stuff is with andy and angela how mm. many plot points develop from that right. relationship and with dwight and the cheating and rock and christmas and all of that you know there's right, right right so it's the catalyst for a lot more than you think about because like you said I, you know Really, once season four hits and Jim and Pam are together, you know they're not going to break up. Right, right. And again, they throw some speed bumps, but the story at that point becomes a different couple. Right. So 
Mr. or Mrs. Ambivalent Soup, we will be sure to note important Dwight and Angela moments moving forward. Uh, Michael trying to get into Phyllis's wedding photos. So that happens pretty early on, but they're right. outside. And yeah, the way he's all like, okay, uh, you know, let's have this group and this group. And then coincidentally, Michael is the only one who's not in it. Right. Um, it's a good bit. Again, it's just Michael doing this great job of really imposing himself on this memory that Phyllis is trying to have without him. <laughs> um, Michael trying to advise Phyllis on her wedding night. Yeah. So the, I think, um, man, is it in there or is it a deleted scene? But there's that one-on-one they have like in the dressing room where Michael's talking about like, if she's nervous about the wedding night. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was in there. Yeah. Was, yeah. He, I don't really wouldn't say she was advising her. It was just like, It'll be okay. Yeah, it's a weird instance, too, where Michael's constantly dwelling on how old she is, despite the fact that they're the same age. Well, and, and also, this pat- it's, it's weird because she was known as Easy Rider. Right. right? Well, that's true, and too. So, so he, he would, knows. You would have yeah. to assume that she's been around. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it's, it's definitely just a funny scene. Yeah. It does have some oddities in the canon of the Office universe, though. Um, Dwight's passwords. So... They're all named after different mythological creatures. Um, yeah, I mean, it's great. It's classic Dwight. And um, okay. it's funny to think that the three of those people were sitting over there, not, you know, fantasy world minded at all, trying to Google or Wiki or Yahoo or Ask Jeeves or whatever mythical animal names, having like a detailed Excel document, copying and pasting, cross referencing, that kind of <laughs> stuff until they could unlock certain files. Right. And I think yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, may your hats fly as high as your dreams. I mean, Michael says, I mean, there's a line that Michael says where, like, it's like an improv conversation, an improvisation. And um, that is, like, the epitome of a lot of Michael's classic lines, where he's just saying words that, in a different context, would definitely mean something. Right. But in the way he said it is not quite a message. <laughs> and that's what this is. All right, well, yeah. uh, we will be back in two weeks, I believe, is the schedule. Yeah, 2017. Yeah, that's crazy. I can't believe, I can't believe this year is already over. It's crazy. Yeah, it's okay. Um, it was a crazy year. <sighs> Tell me about it. <laughs> we're going to have crazier years moving forward. All right, well, all y'all out there, you can email us, brokenjarsbroadcasting at gmail.com. Find us on Reddit, r slash Dunder Mifflin. Uh, yeah, let's hear from you. Um, like, like you just heard, we'll talk about you on air. Yep. <laughs> well, y'all, y'all have a good day, morning, night, whatever it is, uh, when you're listening to the show. Take it easy, gang. <laughs>